0: Let's open our Bibles to Isaiah chapter 40, the 40th chapter of Isaiah where the Lord has brought us to the great divide in the book of Isaiah between the first 39 chapters and the 27 that follow. The Lord's led us so far in 2019, the second half of it, in those 39 chapters, and now we trust He'll lead us through these 27 to the end of this major prophet. Isaiah chapter 40, after 39 chapters of judgment, primarily from Assyria and Babylon, Isaiah's second half has glorious news of Messiah and of God, the indomitable God, and help for us in our time of need. The short outline I gave you tells us that in the first two verses, The prophets are told by God to comfort the Jews at the end of his chastening before he would send Christ. And then John the Baptist and the Messiah are described in verses 3 through 11 and the gospel era of the New Testament. Verses 12 through 17 are his infinite power, wisdom, and glory. And then in 18 through 26, his infinite superiority to idols and to rulers. Because God's power and wisdom and glory over nations, idols, and rulers will be necessary for the prophecies to be fulfilled. Because right. the prophecies are great, and for them to be fulfilled, it's going to take that kind of a God to do so. And in the last five verses, we have God's wisdom and power to help believers. They, those verses there in the last five verses of Isaiah 40 are not for everyone to grab like it's a uh, protein shake for them. It is only for believers. It's only those that wait upon the Lord that get to have the benefits of those five verses. And so we want to learn that lesson today and not be like the Jews in verse 27 saying, the Lord doesn't see me, the Lord doesn't care, the Lord's forgotten about me. That's verse 27. It may be the most important verse in the chapter to understand the perspective and the lesson that we want to gain. Oh, yes, the Lord sees, and the Lord's got the power to help, He's got the wisdom to help, and He's got the love to help us. This is the favorite chapter of Isaiah to many, Isaiah chapter 40, and it's the favorite chapter of the whole Bible to some. It's the great divide between the first and second halves of the book. Many consider the second half of Isaiah to be some of the most beautiful and sublime passages in all of Scripture. Isaiah had short references earlier of coming deliverances and of Messiah, but now they are preeminent. You know, as we went through those first 39 chapters, chapter 12, chapter 26, chapter 9, chapter 11, we ran into prophecies of the Lord Jesus Christ, but uh, they will be extensive in the 27 chapters that follow. Some delight in the glorious introduction of John and Jesus in these verses that we'll get to momentarily with the familiar New Testament terminology, because they're quoted in the New Testament. Some delight in the sovereign power of a Creator God over all things, nations, idols, and rulers. Some delight in the personal help that He gives the fainting children to soar and run in difficulties. Amen. For those familiar with the movie, Chariots of Fire, the story of Eric Little, the Scottish missionary to China, that won the 400 meters in the 1924 Paris Olympics. Isaiah 40 might remind them of that. Right. Uh, One night this past week, Sherry and I found the particular clip where Eric Little, he was a very noble Scottish man, given his understanding of New Testament duties. Mm -hmm. We found him in a Scottish chapel where he was reading a number of verses of Isaiah 40, And then there's some running clips around it and we just put it on repeat Um, and sat there for a while enjoying the verses. But listen, these verses are more than that. These verses are not something that you need to listen to on earbuds when you're running, though it wouldn't be wrong to do so. There's more to the lesson than that. After 39 chapters, many of which told horrible destruction. Do you know some of the chapters that we have read right. of the farmland and the agricultural business of the Jews being utterly destroyed and them all having to fall back to the city of Jerusalem and being besieged there, and then Nebuchadnezzar taking them all captive? We need the first word of this chapter. Comfort! Comfort! And it's a command to comfort from the Lord. Assyria's war with Judah is emphasized in the first 39 chapters because Isaiah and Hezekiah lived under that threat, and Babylon was going to be after they were both gone. Notice the last few verses of chapter 39. Right as we are led into Isaiah 40, look at verse six of Isaiah 39. We'll get verse five. Then said Isaiah to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days come that all that is in thine house, and that which thy fathers have laid up in store, until this day shall be carried to Babylon nothing shall be left saith the Lord and of thy sons that shall issue from thee which thou shalt beget shall they take away and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon everything you own and your families are going to be taken to Babylon and that is how the first 39 chapters end so that when we come to the comfort we understand that God is ending His chastening of the nation. He's going to restore them to their homeland and their city. They're going to rebuild the temple, and that second temple is going to be great because it will be visited by the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We want more than sound bites from this chapter. You know, some of these verses make great wall material in that you like a, would like a wall hanging of some of these verses, and they're suitable for that. But we want more. We want a lesson. We don't just want the sweet-sounding words, though they are indeed that. All parts of chapters, all parts of the 31 verses work together to build a glorious case of comfort for all time. Soaring like an eagle is a wonderful soundbite. But you're not an eagle, so let's embrace the metaphor of running over our difficulties and problems the nations as a drop of a bucket. That's a wonderful metaphor and a description of the immateriality of the nations of the earth. Because the drop of a bucket is the moisture left in a bucket that is rejected because it has no value. When you go get another pail of water, you don't dry out the first pail with a towel. There's still a little bit of water in there, but it is meaningless to the measure of the pail. And so are the nations, measureless, I mean, measure, uh, They're immaterial in the measure of God, as we'll see. We can't exhaust every phrase or verse here more than the other verses we've covered in the first 39 chapters because we want to keep our pace going. We have a lot of wonderful chapters coming up. Right. But we want to get the, the valuable lesson of this chapter. There's a progression that we want to admire. There are rhetorical questions we never want to forget because it's the Lord prompting us and provoking us with rhetorical questions as to how great He is, and His greatness is more than sufficient for any needs you have. The great lesson and the value of this chapter is to encourage yourself in the Lord your God by His Son, Jesus Christ, and by His omnipotent, omniscient, eternal, everlasting power and wisdom to help you. And that's what we'll end up with at the end of the chapter. If, if I go too fast for you, there's 31 days in January, then take the 31 days of January, or the 31 days of March, and meditate on one verse for each day, if I'm going too fast. This chapter, Isaiah 40, opens the second half of the book, but it also opens a nine-chapter section of God boasting. This opens right here, the largest section of God boasting in the Bible. 216 verses through the end of chapter 48 where God boasts. And I shared that with you in 2019 by slides. Wonderf- we had a wonderful time together. Some of you still remember it. A young lady in the congregation wrote this week wanting more material like that because it meant so much to her and it was her favorite sermon of the whole year. God boasting of himself. We're gonna get into it today because this chapter opens it. Do you remember that I taught you that in these eight chapters, God uses the singular personal pronoun I, 96 times, my, 42, me, 33, mine, nine, and myself, four, for 184 occurrences of the first person about God in just nine chapters. That's 21 times a chapter glory to God let's let's give him glory from this chapter it is how he reveals himself it's how God mocks false religion rebukes doubters and humbles and comforts us by telling us how great he is for those that fear love and delight in God these chapters are some of the finest reading in the Bible I have for years when someone wanted to get a vision of God help me get excited about God well read Isaiah 40 through 48 It'll get you excited about God. There are apostate textual critics, and because I've taught this before, I'm just going to remind you, apostate, truth-rejecting textual critics of the Bible say that. To to reduce it to the minimum, the first 39 chapters are written by Isaiah. Then some chapters are written by Deutero-Isaiah, and then some chapters are written by Trito Isaiah, because there's three authors, three writers, of the book of Isaiah, and some of these textual critics go further to make even more. But, there are so many, and I've shared these with you earlier in the introduction to this book months ago, there are so many evidences internal to the book of Isaiah right. that prove that isn't true. But I would like to take you to one proof outside the book of Isaiah, to the Lord Jesus Christ in John chapter 12. So holding your place at Isaiah 40, let me remind you that if you ever run into this, there is one place that may be the best place to go, the shortest, most efficient way to put a stone between the eyes of the Goliath of textual criticism. John chapter 12, they say there are at least three authors because Isaiah 40 does sound different than the first 39 chapters. Who's going to say that it sounds identical? It does sound different. And so they make up a new author or a new writer for it. Here's what the Lord Jesus Christ had to say. John chapter 12 and verse 38. Well, this is John writing about the Lord Jesus. I'll get verse 37. But though he had done so many miracles before them, Jesus had done so many miracles before the Jews yet the Jews believed not on him that the saying of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled which he spake lord who hath believed our report and to whom hath the arm of the lord been revealed therefore they could not believe because that Isaiah said again he hath blinded their eyes and hardened their heart that they should not see with their eyes nor understand with their heart and be converted and I should heal them. These things said Isaiah when he saw his glory and spake of him. So John by inspiration says in verse 38 that Isaiah that's Isaiah from Hebrew to Greek to English Isaiah is Isaiah he gave those words in verse 38. Where's that from in the book of Isaiah? Chapter 53 in the far end of the book. And then it says, he hath blinded their eyes in verse 40, and it tells us that Isaiah said these things when he had the vision of God. What chapter was that in Isaiah? Six. Shame on you. Shame on you, textual critics, for thinking that there's different writers named Isaiah, -Isaiah, Deutero-Isaiah, Trito-Isaiah, when John said there's Isaiah, which we already knew. But let's get back to Isaiah 40. That isn't all that important, but any of you young people, if you ever run into a Bible skeptic, they'll want to go run wild about the different writers in the book of Isaiah. And if we just learn the Bible, then John 12 just tells us that they don't have a clue as to what they're talking about. And we knew that as well before. But uh, sometimes it's fun just to make fun of fools the Bible does and these next nine chapters of Isaiah are going to Oh 44 9 through 20 are you kidding me Ah, I have seen the fire and I've got some leftover wood so let's make a God he's beautiful the Lord is magnificent in his word there are 66 books in the Bible there are sixty-six chapters in Isaiah. The great divide in the Bible is between the Old and New Testament, between books 39 and 40. The great divide in Isaiah is between 39 and 40, and some people's minds run wild that they would like to pursue that, that maybe the first 39 books of, chapters of Isaiah have references to the first 39 books of the Old Testament, of the, of the Bible. but. While we might be able to find some similarities, and I just mentioned a couple, and you can find comfort in Isaiah 40, and you've got New Testament verses that are the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ in 40, let's not push it. Don't push it too far, because you'll get in trouble very quickly. Uh, That's just a little gimmick that we don't need. We want the lesson of Isaiah 40, and that's what we're going to aim for. The first two verses. Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem, and cry unto her, that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned. For she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And amen. This little two-verse section, the prophets were ordered by God to comfort the Jews at the end of his chastening of them, and ushering in his prosperity for them in their second temple, in which, to which, the Lord Jesus Christ would come. This comfort that is right here, it it can, by extension, reach out to us, but it reaches out to us in a small part compared to the main thrust of wanting to tell the Jews that the 39 chapters of bad stuff, which I just showed you in verses six and seven, is right there in front of that word comfort. And remember, there were no verses and no chapters before God's providence of giving them to us a few hundred years ago, it was to be taken, families taken, and assets taken to Babylon. And so it's comfort comfort them. And so it's Isaiah progressing that there's a message and a ministry of comforting coming because God has ended his chastening of the nation and is going to usher in their prosperity. And it's not all spiritual, and it's not all legal phase of Jesus Christ and the cross. It's the practical phase of God delivering them from their national enemies. And I'll try to show that here in in just a, a couple minutes. The emphasized audience of the Jews, right here, the ye, that's a plural, comfort ye. Those are the preachers of the Jews. Those are the prophets. Comfort ye. Comfort ye my people, that's God speaking, saith your God. God has his ministers, and those ministers were to preach comfort to the Jews. And they did. Isaiah is going to do a whole lot of it right here in chapters 40 through 66. Since comfort progresses all the way to Messiah, starting in verse 3, the preachers later are also included, though weekly. Compared to the coming of Messiah, and this is one of the interesting turns of the prophet Isaiah, And he did these kind of things often in the 39 chapters we've covered so far. Notice, his first blessing that he wants to comfort them with is Christ. It's Christ in verses 3 through 11. And then he goes to his power because he's going to move quickly into Cyrus as soon as we get to chapter 41. It's not Christ. It's Cyrus. And then another chapter about Cyrus. And another, and another, and another, and several more are about Cyrus, because they needed to be delivered from verses 6 and 7 of chapter 39. And while that deliverance had been prophesied in chapter 13, we had all the information in chapter 13 about the stupendous event of the Medes coming and overthrowing the Babylonian Empire way back in 13. But the the prophet bounces around. Chapter 13 was about Babylon. And then we have chapters about Assyria. And then we have Babylon mentioned again here. Now we have Messiah, which is leaping 600 years into the future, then coming all the way back to Cyrus the Persian, 500 years. Remember, 70 weeks. 500 years. 70 times 7 is 490. For those of you, I don't want you to be held up. So we jump out 600. We come back 500. And and Isaiah does that often. And don't be discouraged by it. Think about it. If you're going to start by comforting people, you might as well start with the best. Then you can go to the second best. And Cyrus was second best to Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of God. And so we get nine verses about the Lord Jesus Christ, and then we get the greatness and the wisdom and the glory and power of God because we're going to need it to overthrow the mighty Babylonian empire, and that's coming up about how God is able to raise up a man from the east. I'm thinking of the first few verses of chapter 41. He's able to raise up a man from the east and bring him with power to overthrow the Babylonian empire. And so we have comfort and that's the arrangement that God made of that comfort. The preciousness of this first verse should be weighed against the judgment of 39 chapters. I mean, you go read chapter one, it's terrible. He calls him Sodom and Gomorrah. You go read chapter two. They're gonna be throwing their idols to the moles and to the bats and running to the mountains to find caves to hide in and pulling rocks over them from the wrath of Almighty God coming upon them. It's terrible. Comfort ye, comfort ye my people. I've got something better in store for you. And when we experience trials in our lives, as a church, as families, as individuals, he has something better in store for us because we are his children. Chastening does not last forever. Sometimes his chastening may only last till the morning, using a metaphor of of David's writings. And in the morning, listen, every morning aren't you a little bit better than when you went to bed? You know, my wife made straight to my office this morning to check on me because it wasn't a good night. For your sakes. 100% your sakes. 100. And she knew what it was like, listening to those noises and me thrashing around. The poor thing. Anybody have no doze? She's wide awake. But she rushed to my office to check. And isn't it wonderful how the Lord can heal us during a night? Amen. Yep. She said, "How are you?" <laughs> I was ready to go, um, because the Lord does that for us. The Lord's wonderful. You know. And then she told me I prayed for you all night long. I don't want to talk about me. I want to talk about this Isaiah 40. Right. I want to talk about the word comfort. Amen. Right. Comfort. He's able to strengthen us. Amen. He's able to tell us promises and then tell us how he's able to fulfill the promises. Now, if God just said, I'm going to overthrow Babylon and uh, they're going to, the, new, the new king that comes in is going to send you home and pay for your trip and give you back everything he took when they raided Jerusalem, what would you say? Uh, you would say what Zacharias did. What are you going to show me to believe that one? You, I wrote you about Zacharias yesterday. He, he got a little weak, and he shouldn't have said what he said. And I love the words, and my brother Jim was talking to me before the service this morning. I am Gabriel, and I don't know who you think you are, but I stand in the presence of God. And because you doubted what I just promised you, it's going to be zipped up for nine months. It's, it's a great story in the Bible. Amen. Um, Great story in the Bible. We want this comfort, Lord. We want the comfort that starts in verse 1, runs all the way to verse 31 in this chapter, and then is detailed in the chapters that follow of how the Lord was going to comfort his people. At every point, much more can be said. Just like in some of the other chapters we had. Don't be confused. Don't be confused by us getting the Messiah in verses 3 through 11, and then him going to his almighty power, and then him going to Cyrus in chapter 41. It's just the way that Isaiah bounces around. You weren't discouraged, were you, that Isaiah 9 was about Jesus Christ, and Isaiah 10 was all about Sennacherib? Did that bother you? And then Isaiah 11 was all about uh, Jesus Christ again? And then 12 was a song of rejoicing in Jehovah for his salvation in chapter 12, and then 13's about Babylon. It's just the way Isaiah's written. You know, I thank the Lord for his providence in giving us these chapter divisions. Right. If somebody were to ask us, are they inspired? We would say, no, they were not inspired because they weren't there. Well, did the man that put them there have some level of inspiration? Oh, you're getting awfully close. They're providentially there, and I thank the Lord for them. Because if we just had continual run-on of 1,291 verses, you'd get lost in it. I like these little divisions where we can slow down and grab the next chunk to enjoy. Comfort ye my people, saith your God. I gave you 39 chapters of warning. I gave you 39 chapters of Judgment and chastening that was coming now. It's time for comfort and it should remind you of Isaiah 28 verses 23 through 28 at the end Where agricultural wisdom was described which in the past I have applied to God being able to implant in man Which is true. It's true there Implant in man how to deal with each kind of grain as far as planting it harvesting it and processing it, but the real lesson there was I will not chasten you longer than you need. Right. You the bread corn is bruised, but it's not always being threshed. I don't want God threshing me all the time. Right. And so that's what we learned. And thank you, Adam, for pointing that out last Sunday. And I do remember some things. Because that was one of the things God showed us in Isaiah that we changed on, and we appreciated the practical lesson that God gave us that His chastening of us is perfect. It comes at the right time. Now think about it. We're we're talking about farming at the moment. It comes at the right time. It treats each of you grains the right way, and it ends for your proper production into something beautiful. Thank you, Lord. So it's time for comfort as we open up this section of the book of Isaiah. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem. The order is given in verse 2, and cry unto her. We were listening to a different reader of Scripture on the way to church this morning in Isaiah 40. And when it got to the end, I said, don't turn that thing on again, because I don't want to hear that guy. He doesn't know how to read. Because it says, cry unto her. There's nothing effeminate about crying unto her. Shout it out. I mean, we're going to get down to verse 9. O Zion, that bring us good tidings, get thee up into the high mountain. Get up in a high place where you can be heard and let it rip. Speak ye comfortably unto Jerusalem and cry unto her. Shout it out. Your punishment is over. Amen. Right. You've been pardoned. I've pounded you enough. I'm coming with good stuff. Right. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her. I'm sorry. It it just totally, the wind goes out of my sail. And for those of you that have sailed before, I am sitting absolutely dead in the middle of the lake. The sun's beating on me and I want some comfort. Cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished. All the wars, literally, why do we need to make this some spiritual conflict with the devil or your war with the justice of God? And I'm I'm gonna get to it in just a moment, a little bit more. Let's just go with what it, we just had 39 chapters about war. Your warfare is accomplished. Right. Your iniquity is pardoned. You've received of my hand double for all your sins. I've got everything out of you that I wanted to get out of you. I've got my pound of flesh and a little bit more. Though I wanna tell you this. When the Lord says this about his people, he's looking at it from his fatherly perspective. I, I, want, I hope you'll appreciate this. He's looking at it from his fatherly perspective But if you go read the prophets, they will say they didn't get what they deserved. And and don't we pray that way and talk that way in our church? That we have never received what we've deserved for our sins, but he says you've received double for all you. That is just precious. That means once in a while he may cut off at 50%. No, he's perfect. He'll never stop harvesting or processing a grain with the job only half done. He will get it done, but it will be perfectly done. Do you enjoy that little comparison there? You say, I want you to tell me where it is. Okay, let's go over there to Ezra chapter 9. Ezra 9. Nehemiah, Ezra, Job. Ezra chapter 9 came back from Babylon, so he knows we're talking about the very same events. The chastisements upon the Jewish nation, especially upon Judah and Jerusalem. Ezra chapter 9 and Ezra's in prayer, confessing the sins. Verse nine, I mean, verse 13 of chapter 9 of Ezra. And after all that has come upon us for our evil deeds, and boy, a lot came on them, Assyria, then Babylon, and after all that has come upon us for our evil deeds, Ezra nine thirteen, and for our great trespass, seeing that thou, our God, hast punished us less than our iniquities deserved, and has given us such deliverance as this. Praise the Lord. Amen. So from God's hand, he looked at it like I've really pounded this nation. It's time for comfort. So cry to her, it's over. But from, theirs, from their viewpoint, it was they hadn't really got what they deserved. And that's just a wonderful combination of a loving Heavenly Father. From this point forward, Isaiah is looking at large events coming of a much more positive kind that we've only seen little hints of and glimpses of and a few verses of in the first 39 chapters. Following that first verse of this chapter, the instruction is for prophets and teachers to comfort the Jews. The first and greatest event is Messiah, but then eight chapters about Cyrus. Assyria had destroyed Judah. Babylon took them completely captive, as I've shown you. The comfortable preaching before introducing Messiah was to tell an end of chastening. And that's what we've got right here in 2. The bad stuff of 1 through 39 is over. Your punishment's over. It's time for us to be friends again. Comfort ye my people. Preachers, get out there and cry to Jerusalem and to Judah that her iniquity has been pardoned. That it's over. She's received a full measure. She's received double for all her sins. That is a common expression in the Bible for everything needed plus. It's not to be taken so much mathematically as it is in the completeness of the chastening that they needed. And there are a number of cross-references for that usage of double. The Lord Jehovah had fully punished her for all her national sins, and now it was time to tell them about Messiah and what would lead to Messiah. Because Messiah needed a temple to come to, and they had to rebuild that temple that Babylon was going to destroy. It has been a false interpretation to make this verse describe legal forgiveness in Christ's death. I have done that. At times, just using the words, she has received double for all her sins and applying it to the cross. Because the cross isn't really in verse 2. What's in verse 2 is punishment and judgment for sins. Let me show you why. The warfare accomplished and the iniquity pardoned is not at Calvary, but by enemies. Because what we have all around this is the enemies of the Jews, the enemies of Jerusalem and Judah, being judged and destroyed by God. The double for all her sins is used by the prophets for her chastening. Look at Jeremiah. One of the nearby, not a contemporary, but the one that followed Isaiah, Jeremiah chapter 16, verse 18 says, And first, I will recompense their iniquity and their sin double, because they have defiled my land, they have filled my inheritance with the carcasses of their detestable and abominable things. Chapter 17 and verse 18. Let them be confounded that persecute me, but let not me be confounded. Let them be dismayed, but let not me be dismayed. Bring upon them the day of evil and destroy them with double destruction. There's the comparisons of God saying, she's received double for all her sins. She's received my judgment in full measure, called double in the scripture. That this isn't God punishing Jesus Christ twice as much as our sins deserved, which I have used Flippant, lightly in the past, not flippantly, lightly in the past about the legal work of Jesus Christ and the cross. You haven't heard it from me in a long time, but I am telling you right now, that is not the sense of Isaiah 40 in verse 2. The context before this verse is chastening judgment, and the context after this verse is rescue from chastening judgment, which means she's received double punishment for her sins, not And this would be a total contradiction that Jesus received. Because notice who received it. In Isaiah 42, who received the double? She did. I thought we believed in substitutionary atonement in this church. Then we didn't receive it. We couldn't stand up under any of that if it was the legal judgment of God for sin. That's that's Jesus Christ standing in our place for us. And doesn't, doesn't Isaiah know all about that when he says in Isaiah 53, all our iniquities were laid on him. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. By his stripes we were healed. That's, I don't have any, more, any time for more. Verse 2 is, Cry to Jerusalem that her punishment is over. The punishment that I described for 39 chapters, and how I'm going to deliver her from punishment, is described in the next chapters of how I will deliver her from Babylon. So we come to the next section, verses 3 through 11. John the Baptist, and the coming of Messiah. Let me read these nine verses to you, starting at verse 3. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. The voice said, cry. And he said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all the goodness thereof is as the flower of the field. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth. But the word of our God shall stand forever. Amen. O Zion, that bring us good tidings, get thee up into the high mountain. O Jerusalem, that bring us good tidings, lift up thy voice with strength. Lift it up, be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God will come with strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm, and carry them in his bosom, and shall gently lead those that are with young." Amen and amen. Why Christ first and Cyrus second, opposite to the timeline of the Jewish nation? Because Christ is greater than Cyrus, and his salvation is so much greater. This is a life, this is a tremendous, earth-shattering, changing, heaven-shaken event to have the Lord Jesus Christ come to Judah, the God of Israel, the God of the Bible, the Creator God. He's going to be described in this chapter as the everlasting God, the Lord, the Creator of the ends of the earth, the Holy One. He came and visited earth. It's, It's phenomenal. That is comfort at the highest level. Then we can back off for eight chapters and talk about Cyrus. <laughs> and then we get right back to the Lord Jesus Christ. What do you think Isaiah 50 is about? Anybody want to wager anything? What's Isaiah 50 about? What's Isaiah 52 end with? What is Isaiah 53 about? you know? Oh, yes. Because we're going to get a whole lot more of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we just get this shot in right here. John the Baptist and the Son of God. Look at Mark 1. Mark 1. Isaiah 40 and verse 3 said, The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness. So let's go over to Mark 1 and find this voice. Oh yes, lift it up with strength. That isn't some mealy-mouthed effeminate little talking, is it? To lift up your voice with strength? To get up into a high mountain and to cry out? This ought to be the most exciting news possible to us. It's a shame that we get excited about little things like Everybody else, everybody else in the company was limited to do a 4% raise. I got a five. Come on. Let's shout about something real. Amen. Right here, it's about the Lord, it's about the God of glory coming and visiting earth. Behold your God! Those people couldn't even go in and visit with God between the cherubim over the Ark of the Covenant. But He came right down in their faces in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mark 1, verse 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. There is that preparatory work of John the Baptist. Verse 3, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John did baptize. Now if John did baptize, who is this John? John the Baptist. Good. John the Baptist, one of the young men in the church, was asking me about these verses here. And so I want to remind you about them. I, we love these verses. If you're trying to show someone that their new translation is wrong, then go to Mark 1, 2. Our King James Bible says, as it is written in the prophets, plural, their Bibles all say, as it is written in Isaiah and their footnotes will tell you that, Behold, I send my messenger, is from Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1. Because Mark 1, 2 is from Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1. Mark 1, 3 is from Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 3. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. This is John the Baptist. Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Our King James Bible is indomitable. Right. How so? Because it uses the plural prophets in Mark 1-2 as it is written in the prophets. And verse 2 is from Malachi and verse 3 is from Isaiah. So it uses the plural prophets. They use the singular Isaiah when it's actually from Malachi. Thank you, Lord, for a King James Bible. Those poor old men back there 400 years ago, blind as bats, never been to Harvard. And they were able to work this out for us by the grace of God. Just wanted to share that with you. We're back at Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 3. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. John the Baptist came as a preparatory ministry for the Lord Jesus Christ. Malachi 3 and Malachi 4 are about that ministry. John had to make ready a people among the Jews prepared for God himself to visit. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. An illustrious king is coming. The Lord of glory is going to visit this earth. Make sure that everything is made ready for him coming. If it would have been a king of the Babylonians, they would have made sure that a highway was ready for him to travel, that he would not have endured any hardships in his travel. And these are civil engineering terms. And these are construction terms that are used in, in verse 3 and verse 4. Make straight in the desert a highway. This is highway building. If you're going to bring a king in from Babylon or a king in from Nineveh or a king in from Thebes of Egypt, you're going to make a highway for him so that he can travel easily and smoothly and quickly with a large company and have sufficient supplies along the way. And so John the Baptist was sent to have a highway ready for God to visit earth. And he visited earth in that little country of Israel, in the little tribe, tribal area of Judah, in the city of Jerusalem. Of course, he lived in Galilee of the nations as well, up there by the Sea of Galilee. Matthew 1.23 tells us that Jesus had a name, Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is about God visiting. Behold your God. Verse 9. But we know that from the, we are so blessed to be able to read Isaiah 40 from the the New Testament side of the cross looking back, having John 1, 1 through 18 in our minds and John 1, 19 through 36 in our minds because John the Baptist had one ministry to get the people ready and then to announce, this is he. This is the one that I've told you is coming after me that I am not worthy to loose his shoe latchet I need to be baptized by him, not him by me. And it's just a wonderful message of the New Testament. And here is John the Baptist, the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness. Do you think they went out to a man in a leather girdle who was crunching grasshoppers and dipping wild honeycomb out of his pouch? An unkept man out there in the wilderness. Do you think that he spoke effeminately? It says he's crying crying in the wilderness the Lord's coming the glory of the Lord's coming behold your God behold the Lamb of God behold the Lamb of God and I testified and declared that he was the Son of God all in John chapter 1 verses 19 through 36 wonderful words John identified Jesus of Nazareth as Lamb and Son of God for all of Israel do not overlook or minimize what John's ministry identified as getting ready for God. Let's look at that third verse. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Let's get the highway stuff out of the way. Those of you that like heavy earth-moving equipment, here we go. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And here's how you make something straight in the desert. Every valley shall be exalted. Do, does our, do our highways in this country fill in valleys? so that you don't have to drive all the way down into the bottom? Have you ever noticed how much fill dirt is brought in to be able to bring up the valleys? And then they cut off the tops of mountains or cut off the sides? It's be- fantastic. The metaphor here. Civil engineering is designing highways, among other things. Every valley shall be exalted. We're gonna fill in the valleys and bring them up to level. Every mountain and hill shall be made low. We're gonna cut them off blast them with dynamite to bring them down to the same level. The crooked shall be made straight. We are going to get small hills and small mountains out of our way completely, and the rough places are going to be made plain. We're going to smooth them all out. That, That is civil engineering and construction terms of making a highway. Well, what does it mean when John did it? What did John do? He made ready a people prepared for the Lord. Let's go to the last two verses of the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 4. This is wonderful stuff. How do we get ready for God to visit us? How can we as a church be more ready for God to visit us? How can a couple be more ready for God to visit them? How can a family be more ready for God to visit them? So that we can be saying in our families, Behold, our God was with us this morning. Behold, our God was with us last night. How? Verse 5 of Malachi 4, the last two verses of the Old Testament. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet, that is John the Baptist, proved by Jesus in Matthew chapter 11 and Matthew chapter 17, without a doubt. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, that is 70 AD of the Romans. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. So it's relationships, it's righteous relationships. Come over to Luke chapter 1, and a little later, after Gabriel told Zacharias, I am Gabriel. No, just in front of that, because it's verse 19 where he said that. And I want verse 17, as Gabriel is explaining to Zacharias what kind of a ministry his son, John the Baptist, would have. Look at verse 15. He shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall return to the Lord their God. That that is heavy earth-moving equipment right there turning people to the Lord their God, getting them ready to meet God by repentance and getting their lives in order. He shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias. There is the explanation of why John the Baptist was called Elijah in Malachi 4.5. He shall go before him, John, shall go before Jesus in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. What does God say in there by comparison? Who is wise, parents or children? Because it says, Turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. Who are the just ones with wisdom? Parents. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And I want you to notice that. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. There's that straight highway in the desert. Right there. Prepared for the Lord the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. How do, you prepare of the way of, how do you prepare the way of the Lord? For the Lord to visit you, for the Lord to visit our church, for us to be obedient and repent of our sins and come clean with Him, and He will visit us. And He visited them. And that's what John the Baptist was sent here for, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Righteous relationships. Has that ever been preached in this church? It has. And that's what we want. This straight highway in the desert has nothing to do with dirt, but everything with truth. Oh, back there in, in Luke chapter 3. Go to Luke chapter 3. I want to show you about just a little bit more about John the Baptist, and we've got to get back. Luke chapter 3, verse 6 of Luke 3. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Where does that come from? Isaiah 40. Look at verse 5, every valley shall be filled. Where does that come from? Isaiah 40. How about verse 4, the voice of one crying in the wilderness from Isaiah 40. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. How did John prepare the way of the Lord? Watch. The Pharisees came out to him. He called them a generation of vipers that the wrath of God was going to fall upon. He told them to bring forth repentance, that they shouldn't claim Abraham as their father because God can raise up children from the stones to be Abraham's children. The axe is laid to the root of the tree. In verse 9, that's what God was going to do to the Jewish nation. Verse 10, And the people asked him, saying, What shall we do? How can we get ready for the coming of the Lord? How can we get ready? He answered and said unto them, He that hath two coats, let him impart to him that hath none. And he that hath meat, let him do likewise. Share your stuff. Then came also publicans to be baptized, and said unto him, Master, what shall we do? And he said unto them, Exact no more than that which is appointed you you're a tax collector, you're a publican, don't you dare pad the tax bill to pad your pocket. Verse 14, the soldiers likewise demanded of him saying, and what shall we do? And he said unto them, do violence to no man, neither accuse any falsely, and be content with your wages. That that is John the Baptist at work. Can you see the handles on that dozer? Being moved like a, a concert pianist. That's John the Baptist taking care of the people, the publicans, the soldiers, in rapid order telling them what they needed to do to be ready for the appearance of the Lord. Because we all have temptations that are a little bit unique to our situations, and they are the ones we want to take head on. Don't sit back and say I'm good at someone else's temptation. How are you with your temptations? Let's solve them. Then we're a people prepared for the Lord. And behold, our God can come and visit us. Back to Isaiah chapter 40. That was verses 3 and 4. Verse 5, And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. God said this was going to happen. God told about John the Baptist's coming. God ordered the message of comfort beginning in verse 1. Jehovah's glory was revealed in the person of Jesus. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his his glory as of the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth could we go off right here for about an hour on the glory of Jesus Christ It's a good request and a good desire. And we'll never get through the book of Isaiah if we were to do that. Are there some places that you can go to if you really want to get full of the glory of Jesus Christ? John chapter 1, the first 18 verses, and Hebrews chapter 1 and 2, all of the verses. Amen. Go get those three places and put them together, and you'll see the glory of God revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. Those aren't the only places, but those are prime ones. Does the Bible tell us, does Paul tell us that the glory of God is revealed in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ in 2 Corinthians 4, 6? Does Paul say in Hebrews 1, 3 that Jesus Christ is the express image of God? The glory of the... They they didn't get to see the glory of the Lord. It was in the tabernacle. It was in the temple. It was in the Holy of Holies. Sometimes the tabernacle or the temple would be glowing but they never got to see it up close and personal, but they sure did with the Lord Jesus Christ. And we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We beheld Him. John, when John gets over to his first epistle, he says that eternal life, that eternal life that was with the Father, we've touched Him, we've handled Him, we've seen Him, we've heard Him. That's how you start comforting people. If you can comfort a person with the things of this life only, you've got to be worried. Because right. that's a natural man. A spiritual man needs more than this life because he knows this life is vanity and vexation of spirit. And that's as good as it gets. When it's good, when it's good, it's vanity of vanities. All is vanity and vexation of spirit. And when it's not, we need the Lord Jesus Christ whether it's good or bad. The voice said, Cry. This is God's voice. Just like it was God speaking in verses one and two, telling his preachers to preach. And here it's John the Baptist. Cry. And he a singular. And there's other ministers can be put in there because this message extends out, and Peter's going to use it in first Peter chapter one. What shall I cry? Lord, what do you want me to preach? Right now, in this place, what should it be? All flesh is grass. All natural men, no matter how good they are, how powerful they are, no matter what nation they're from, no matter who they are, no matter what religion they have, they're all grass. All flesh is grass, and all the goodness thereof is as the flower of the field. The best man at his best state, what does the Bible say? The best man at his best state is altogether Vanity. vanity. All flesh is grass, and all the goodness thereof is as the flower of the field. You tell those people, and you cry out. Don't put trust in the flesh. Don't put trust in princes. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth. It's going to happen to every man and every man's plans and every man's accomplishments, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. God the Holy Spirit is going to blow against men and destroy their earthly, natural accomplishments in order to turn everyone that they might find nothing after God taught in the book of Ecclesiastes, the philosophy book of our Bibles. The the Lord's going to blow against anything done naturally. Surely the people is grass. Surely that is true. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. And amen. amen. Every plan of man, every idea of man, every achievement of man, the Lord blows against it and it disappears. It just wilts like grass, it fades like a flower. But the word of God stands forever. And those words right there are quoted by First Peter, but is there a second, Peter? By Peter, in First Peter chapter 1, verses 23 through 25, where he said, "And this is the word which by the gospel, is preached unto you. So this word of God that stands forever is God's promises of what He's going to do, and it is preached by the gospel unto you. The gospel is good news and glad tidings of God's promises of what He's going to do for us. And Peter used this passage over there in 1 Peter chapter 1 to say, that is what gospel preaching is. It's not the ideas of men. It's not the philosophies of men. In fact, we're warned not to be deceived by the philosophies or the traditions of men, but to believe what God has said. And He's going to go on and tell you, I've got the power to do it. You believe my promises, then go, he's going to go off. From verses 12 through 26, he is. He's going to go off for 15 verses. I've got the power, I've got the wisdom, and I've got the glory to bring to pass everything I say. Because this, these promises are built upon this. The mouth of the Lord hath spoken it, in verse five. And in verse eight, the word of our God shall stand forever. When God says something, and His prophets or apostles write it down for us, it is absolutely sure. When you are in Isaiah 9, and you love verse 6, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. That verse, and you know it's about the Lord Jesus Christ. Make sure you connect with it the next verse, which is verse 7, that the kingdom of David is going to be given to the Lord Jesus Christ, and the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform it. So it's all about God's performance. He's got the power, the wisdom, the glory to to perform His promises. Are you going to believe them? You want to know what preachers are supposed to preach? Comfort through the power of God to fulfill His promises, the chief of which is the Lord Jesus Christ who has defeated death and hell and sin and the devil for our everlasting consolation and reward. The great reward David could only see obscurely compared to what we're able to see in the New Testament, young Bregan. Verse nine: "O Zion, that bring us good tidings, get thee up into the high mountain, O Jerusalem, that bring us good tidings. Look at all these good tidings! That's why it's it's not like the first 39 chapters. This is different. Comfort ye my people. The bad news is over. I got a bunch of good news. Lift up thy voice with strength. Lift it up. Be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. With an exclamation point. Behold your God. This is the God you've never seen. This is the God that was put away, hid away in the Holy of Holies. This is the God that only the high priest once a year could visit. Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God will come with strong hand. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is God and He is man. He is the Word of God made flesh. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. Behold, the Lord God will come with strong hand and His arms shall rule for Him. Behold, His reward is with Him and His work before Him. Jesus came, to come, Jesus came to do the will of His Father, and He did the Father's work. Right. Jesus, Jesus said, while it is day, I need to work. There's a night coming when no man can work. I want to get my work from my Father over with. His reward is with Him. If you read Malachi chapter 3 last night, in the great day when the Lord Jesus Christ was going to come, Malachi was looking forward to it. We're looking back to it. He said He'll be making up His jewels. And He is going to make up His jewels out of the righteous and those jewels will walk on the ashes of the wicked in Malachi chapter 3 and 4. That's the Lord Jesus Christ with His reward. He's got a strong hand. He will rule the universe. This is in prophecy. We're looking back. We know it for 2,000 years. Jesus sits on the throne of glory. Behold your God with a human body. Because Colossians 2, 9, from four weeks ago, ye are complete in Him year complete in him is verse 10 what is verse 9 and in him dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead bodily Amen. so when it says his arm the Lord God is coming behold your God it's the fullness of the Godhead with a human nature that is Jesus Christ the Son of God in Jerusalem And Zion are synonyms for each other, many times in the Bible, and here they are. It's Jerusalem. Jerusalem was partially built on Mount Zion. The temple was on Mount Moriah, but there were mountains there, and it was elevated. And the shout is to get up there where people can hear you and let it go, and don't be afraid. Lift up your voice with strength and don't be afraid. Was John the Baptist afraid? No. No. Did it get him in trouble? Did it get him in trouble with Herod? Because he wasn't afraid? Oh love John the Baptist. His ministry was His ministry was so short. And for such a little no huge reason to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And he did it and he did it well and he was fearless. Were the apostles fearless? Be very careful in your answer. Say yes and no. Yes before Pentecost. No, after Pentecost and you know there's verses we could turn to and they're they're right here those apostles was Peter afraid of a little maid how about a few days later in the city of Jerusalem he stood up and took care of that whole crowd that was accusing the Apostles of being drunk at nine o'clock in the morning and he went he started pulling scriptures together and by the time he got to his invitation you either wanted to kill him or get baptized Because he's, he went off. Therefore let all the house, and I'm not saying it in the way he said it, therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, both Lord and Christ. Amen. And they knew exactly what that meant. He was coming to judge his enemies because the prophecies were all too clear for that. And they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? And we have said that about hearing the joyful sound that Jesus <laughs> came as God in the flesh to visit earth. And was he a good shepherd? Is he called a good shepherd in John 10? As we look at verse 11, is he called the great shepherd in Hebrews 13:20? Is that how he's taken care of you? Has he ever had to carry you with his arm like a little lamb? Because you were so helpless? Has he carried you in his bosom? Have you felt warmth and friend? Have you felt his warmth, friendliness, affection, and care over you? Yes, you have. Has he gently led those that were with young? When you had extra burdens in your life, did He lead you gently along so that you made it anyway? All these things are so true of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the good shepherd. He is the great shepherd. And preachers should preach verses uh, 3 through 11 from time to time. Wonderful verses. Behold your God. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word. Amen.